All right, all right. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Pretty good? All right, my name is John. For those that don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And today we're going to um, have a, a time of encouragement, a time of, of me just speaking to the church uh, before we start our summer series. We're going to start our summer series next week. Um, and we're going to start off with Jehovah Shammah. We're going to go through the names of God and uh, Jeanette Barlin is going to be the first one giving us a testimony. And so we're going to start the summer series next week. And so be excited for that. We're going to be able to hear some great testimonies from people just uh, in this church. And testimony always gives glory to who God is, right? Testimony always uh, gives us a place of seeing God work in our, in, in our everyday lives. And so that's why we love doing the testimony series in the summer. Um, so be on edge for that because it's going to be fun. Today, like I said, I wanted to bring a message of encouragement for us, a message of kind of new beginnings. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 2, sorry. We're going to go from 42 to 47. And it says this, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possession to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your today. Lord, that today is a day that you have made and that we can rejoice. And so, Father God, we pray, Lord, that as we dive into your word, Lord, may you send your spirit to encourage us. May you bring your spirit to, to put our hearts into a right place and realign ourselves with who you are. Lord, may we the lives that we live be a blessing unto you and be a witness of your blessing in our lives. So, Father God, we just give all that we are to you. And, Lord, may we uh, listen to what you have set, said in Scripture today. And may we uh, be able to be a church um, to live out what you have written in your word. So, Lord, we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the passage that we read, incredible, right? Such an such a early account of the church. This is the very, very beginning of as the church started, as Jesus ascended into heaven, and the, the, now the disciples and the apostles are left in a place of, now we have to build this thing. Now what are we going to do? So when we hear the account of the early church, you almost think, man, this is too good to be true. You ever have that feeling where something is too good to be true? No church will ever be like that. In the New American Commentary, it says this, it could almost be described as a young church's age of innocence. The subsequent narrative of Acts will show that it did not always remain so. Sincer sincerity sometimes gave way to dishonesty. Joy was blocked by rifts in the fellowship, and the favor of the people was overshadowed by persecutions from the Jewish officials. Luke's summaries presents an ideal for the Christian community in which it must always strive for. 
constantly return to and discover anew if it is to have that unity of spirit and purpose essential for effective witness. What it's saying here is it's saying that this is an ideal, and we see the church actually very, very fast turn away from this ideal, but what the commentary reminds us is that this is the ideal and the motivation of us always going back to where the church first started, and it started with fellowship and common things. Here we see the word being used, fellowship. The Greek word for fellowship here is koinonia. And it is a, basically, it, it means the, the gathering of Christian fellowship or the body of believers. But it also means the intimate spiritual communion and the participative sharing in common religious commitment and spiritual community. It requires communion and participation. The verse begins with, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship. It was about a commitment to grow in their salvation and discipleship of Jesus, but also to come together as a community to partake, participate. The idea of fellowship requires participation. The best analogy I could find in this or I could think of in this is from the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Rings. The idea was that there was a fellowship that was formed around this ring and, and Frodo and his, compa his companions were all active in a mission. Every single character in that story, in that fellowship, was important to the success of the mission and it required teamwork and the individual specialties that helped them get the ring to Mount Doom. That is the same way the church needs to move. It is about teamwork and what we could do as individuals to help further the kingdom of God. So as we talk about fellowship, it is about coming together. It is about community. It is about fun. It's about sharing. It's about caring and loving and worshiping. As a church, we are really good at all of that. But there's also an active care for each other. And this is this comes with a common mission. And this mission includes the breaking of bread, which we just did today. The breaking of bread is to remind each other and to encourage each other in our salvation. The breaking of bread is the activity in which we remember what Jesus did on the cross. The breaking of bread is a reminder of our identity in Jesus. And the breaking of bread gives us the courage to walk out our faith because we remember what Jesus did on the cross, which is the ultimate act of love, mercy, and grace. And that we are able to come to the Father because of that, that we are Christians and believers because of that, that we are His church because of that. The church is not a, a building that we attend once a week to worship, but the church is who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then it calls us to pray, to pray for each other, and to pray for wonders and signs and that the church is to experience through the power of the Holy Spirit. What's the common ground? It's not a trick question. What's the common ground here? The common ground is Jesus. The motivation is Jesus. The ideal is Jesus. This is what the church rallies around. This is, it is, it, it is what Jesus had done. It was w the faith that, that they had in Jesus is knowing that everything is paid 
by what Jesus did on the cross, that all sin and condemnation is done, that everything is free because of the cross, that no matter what our society and our culture tells us or prohibits us, that our spirit, in our spirit, we are free. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other belief systems in this world, is that Jesus came after us and saved us. We didn't do anything to earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. It is given and gifted only through the mercy and grace of God. It means that when we disagree with each other, that we remember this common ground. Because regardless of what your theological preferences are, the foundations of Christian common ground rest in the person of Jesus and what he has done to reconcile all of humanity. Imagine with me for a minute where our political churches of the far right and the far left could work together on this common ground. I mean, I can't really imagine that, but I want to. I want to try. The early church did this. They were not corrupted by power or control of the church yet, and it's an ideal that we can go for. It's an ideal that we need to go for. It's an ideal that we need to come back to. This was the birth of the church. It exemplified Jesus in the most pure and untainted way. What did they do? They met people's needs. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And what did they do? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who was in need. Crazy, right? And every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread once again. Why is breaking bread so important? That is mentioned twice in this passage. It's because breaking bread is about what Jesus said. Do this what? In remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not just remember who I am, but put me at the forefront of everything that you do. Remember what I did on the cross for you. Remember that the place that you stand today, the place, the fact that you are sinless, the the fact that you are righteous is because of what I've done. And that by breaking bread, it reminds us of going back to those places, of, of saying, it's not about my life, it's about what Jesus did for me, right? That's why breaking bread is a consistent in this verse. It's mentioned twice, it's that important. As a church, we we recognize that we do it once a month. We encourage you guys to do it in your cell groups as well. As you meet for cell groups, break bread together. You don't need a pastor to lead communion. You don't need a pastor to lead any of that. You can break bread together. Why? Because that is an encouragement for each other to instill courage into each other to say, hey, Jesus died for you. Remember that. That his righteousness covers you. No matter what you're going through right now, that that righteousness covers you. That Jesus is over you. That Jesus is the the one that leads you. That Jesus is the one that is there for you. Break bread. That's what breaking bread is for. Breaking bread is for us to remember who we're living for. Right? Amen? Can I get an amen? I feel like we need some some more response here. Awesome. 
The generosity of the church was beyond anything that made sense. That was the beginning of the church. The church was extremely generous, that they sold land. Imagine, we live in Vancouver, one of the most expensive cities in Canada, if not the most expensive city in Canada. How much does one property cost? I challenge one person in this church to sell their property and give it all to the church. As an act of obedience. Okay? Not because of what John's telling you to do, but because of what God's telling you to do. One property in Vancouver is probably double to triple this church's yearly budget. Imagine what we could do with that that they sold their possessions, their properties. Why? Why would the church do this? Why would the church give like this? Because they wanted to meet people's needs. This, this idea of giving is a practice called tithing. It's something that we actually do here at church, but tithing is a discipline that was there long before even Moses wrote it in the laws for the people. The word tithe literally means 10%. We see that Abraham tithe in Genesis 14, 20. It says, and praise be to God, most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. We also see that Jacob tithe, and it says this, in Genesis 28, 22, it says, And this stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and all that you give me I will give you a tenth. Both Jacob and Abram lived hundreds of years before Moses, and before Moses was able to writ, write the idea of tithe into the laws. It wasn't done because of the laws. It was done because of their heart. And it was the fact that they understood that everything I have and everything that is given to me is given to me by, go by God. So to offer 10% was to honor and to love the one that has given everything to you. It was because of the faith of Abraham and Jacob that the law of tithing came into place. The tithe was to be given for ministry purposes. You see, when... The 12 tribes of Israel was traveling through the desert. They would set up places, and when they entered into the promised land, remember this is all found in Exodus. Out of the 12 tribes, 11 tribes were given land, and one tribe was not, right? So 12, out of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons, every single tribe was given land, and that land was for them to work. It was for them to earn money. The land was for them to, to be able to prosper. But one tribe was not, and that one tribe is the tribe of Levi. And the tribe of Levi was given the responsibility to take care of the temple and to take care of the cities. So there are key cities within every single tr tribe, all scattered through the 12 tribes. And these cities were run by the Levites. And the, these cities were places of refuge and places where people went for help. And... What kept these cities going is that every tribe, all that they have earned, everything that they have cultivated, that a tenth of what they earned and what they cultivated was to go to these cities so that the ministries can continue, so that the temples could be kept up. 
You can find all of this in the Jewish laws found in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and 18. And it covers not only what to give and where to give, but the spirit that was intended in giving. But let's look deeper into this and turn with me to Malachi. Malachi calls is a book where Malachi is a call for God's people to return back to him. There's a period of time where Israel turns away from God and Malachi is a prophet and he's a messenger of God and he's calling for his people to say, come back to me. And Malachi in chapter 3 says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God responds, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be delight, a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So Malachi is calling out the Israel for, from, for turning away from God, but in that they were also robbing from God in tithes and offering. The background of this is found in chapter 2, in which the situation was actually really dire. The priest has become corrupt, and as a result, the people were lost and becoming corrupt as well. We actually see the exact same thing happening in Nehemiah 13. And actually, Nehemiah 13, the time that Nehemiah and Malachi is written is about actually around the same time. It was about 440 uh, AD. And we know that Nehemiah and Malachi were actually contemporaries together. And in Nehemiah 13, it talks about in which the Levites, the Levites were not being taken care of. The 12 tribes were not giving, and so the Levites were left uh, needing to take care of themselves. And so they, they had to find other means of work. And so the Levites actually started going into the farms and working the farms because they, the, the other tribes were not tithing anymore. And if the Levites were doing that, that means that nobody was taking care of the temple. And Nehemiah's job was what? To rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. And he's sitting there and he's like, I have no workers for the temple because you guys forgot what your responsibilities are to take care of the Levites. And so Nehemiah calls them back and he's like, you guys need to restore to the, proper, the Levites back to the proper duties. The principle here is simple. Without money, ministries suffer. The tithe is not, a, not as much about giving money as it is about giving from your heart. You... Basically, what I'm saying is you reap what you sow, right? If you want ministries to flourish, but you're not sowing into ministries, your ministry's not going to flourish. If you want the church to grow, you want the church to be able to impact the community, but you don't sow into the church, the church is not going to be able to do it. Malachi 2.1 says this, listen, you priests, this command is for you. Listen to me and take it to heart. Honor my name, says the Lord Almighty. Alex, as he was talking about communion, he was saying that we are, we're priests, right? 
in First Peter it says that it calls us what? What does it call the church? It calls us a what? A holy nation and what? A royal priesthood. That every single one of us here sitting in this room is part of that holy nation and royal priesthood. And Malachi calls you and says, listen, priests, listen, church, listen, all of you. This command is for you. Listen to me and take it to heart. Honor my name. God is saying it's not about money, but it's about honor and giving honor to God. That's what it's about. The whole book of Malachi is about getting right with God. It's about giving honor that is due to him. We honor God when we give our first fruits. That's the best fruits, not the last, not the leftovers. Jesus teaches this in the Matthew 6, 21. What, do you say? what does he say? He says this, where your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. He continues in chapter 6, verse 24, says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot both serve both God and money. There's this story in the Bible, in the book of Acts, about a man named Simon the sorcerer. It's different from Simon Peter. Okay? Simon's a common name. It's like John. I'm John. I'm not John the Apostle. But Simon the sorcerer, where he really wanted to be a part of the disciples. He wanted to be a part of the apostles. He wanted to do the miraculous things that the, the disciples were doing. He wanted to be filled with his Holy Spirit. He sees the disciples laying hands on people, and, and as he, they lay hands, the Holy Spirit comes into them, and all of a sudden, people are doing miracles around, and Simon the sorcerer sees this. He's like, I want this. So he goes to the disciples, and he says, I will give you money in order for you to pray for me to receive this Holy Spirit that you have so therefore I could do the same thing. What does Peter do? Peter saw through this and he said that this heart is not right. He wanted the power to give himself glory and his heart was full of bitterness and was captive to sin. His giving, because Simon went to give, but Peter's like, your giving is not in the right place. And Peter, what did he say? He say, may your money perish with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part of this for your heart is not right before God. The whole thing about tithing is not just about money. It is about your personal relationship with Jesus. The whole thing about tithing is not about giving your material goods. It's about what you understand and how you gain your material goods. Who's given these things to you? Who's given you your job? Who's given you your house, your car, all of those things that you own and possess? Are they from yourself or are they a blessing from God? Everything that you have and everything that you own is something that God's given you to steward. You are merely a steward of all his blessings. Malachi 3.10 continues to sing, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. He says what? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Only place. 
God says, tithe into the storehouse so that the temples are filled and then watch me open up the floodgates or the windows of heaven to pour out so much blessing that you won't have enough room to fill it. God wanted to make sure that the temple was first taken care of so that they can minister properly and bless the people. But again, it comes down to motive. If you're giving just to receive more, then your heart isn't thinking of God, but thinking of what is coming for you. Search for God with all your heart and soul, and you will find him. Finding God is the motive in searching for God is the motive, and the motive unlocks something in your heart that God promises to respond to. It comes down to obedience. It is about obedience and not sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says this, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices, or your obedience to his voice? Obedience is far better than sacrifice. Listening to him is much better than your offering the fat of rams. God is saying that what you do in obedience of what I've called you to do is much greater than what you are to give. So we give in obedience, we give in worship, we give with the right spirit. And the tenth of the tithe is a guideline and not an obligation. Because Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says this, Since you excel in so many ways, you have so much faith, such gifted speakers, such knowledge, such enthusiasm, and such love for us. Now I want you to excel also in the gracious ministry of giving. I am not saying that you must do it, even though the other churches are eager to do it. This is one way to prove your love is real. It's not an obligation, okay? You don't need to tithe in order to be a part of the church. It's not an obligation. But a heart that loves God cannot help but give to the things that are important to God. You see, the church is a primary vehicle for accomplishing the work of the kingdom. Right? Do we believe that? The Bible talks about how the church is what? My bride. But there's only one church. Five Stones is a part of that one church. That God uses the church to expand his kingdom. That God uses his church, not this building, okay? Let me reiterate that. Uses this church, you. You people, every single one that's sitting in here that is a follower of Jesus Christ, that believes that Jesus died for you, that, that proclaims that I am Christian, you, you're the church. You're the royal priesthood. Remember now. That God uses you and your generosity to reach the kingdom. Every single one of you. And that you give through the church. And as people see what the church is doing, that they can come into the kingdom. That's what the purpose of the church is. I don't want to go into the politics. I don't want to go into any other thing. Let's just focus on what is the church supposed to represent. 
the church is supposed to represent Jesus. So is this church doing that? The church, the early church knew and understood this, and that's why they gave generously. They didn't give to a place where they were suffering, right? They were giving generously. They were giving more than, than they could afford. However, it was not to a place where they were suffering financially themselves, where they had to go, oh, actually I gave too much, and uh, now I need the church to help me back. They weren't doing that. They were in a place where they were saying, I see the needs, I see the orphans, I see the widows, I see the poor, I see those that are, are suffering. And I know the answer to all of their problems. And the answer is Jesus. But the answer also is a very tangible thing. And that tangible thing, I could fulfill. And I could help out and I could do it. They need housing, I'm going to give them housing. They need food, I'm going to give them food. They need counseling, I'm going to give them counseling. Whatever the need was, the church met. But in order for the church to do that, they had to have the financial resources to actually give these things to the people. It's not about us. It's about what Jesus is doing through us. Does that make sense? It's that Jesus is living. He's a God that, he's a God that gives. He's a God that blesses you. He's a God that pours into you. And everything that you have, your talents, your skill sets, your money, your finances, everything that you have is given from him so that you can use those resources to help others to give him glory. Amen? Amen. Let's do that, church. Can't we do that? Yes. <laughs> I want to see five stones and the ministry of this church to move in a place where when widows and orphans come to the church, when the poor come, when those that are suffering injustice, when those that face accusation come to the church, that we move with love in our action and compassion. We meet them with the love of Jesus. I want us to be able to have the resource to fulfill the tangible helps that when you're able to help, you're able to praise God and enjoy the flavor of all the people and it increases our faith. As a church, five stones giving is actually pretty good. But imagine what we can do in serving together and serving our community if we were able to release the storehouse that God has given us. That if we're able to come to a place of understanding what our finances are for, Imagine what we could do. Two years ago when COVID hit, we knew that there were people in our church that needed financial aid. And so we took in donations for, for any of the, the people that either lost jobs or, or came to a place where finances became difficult because of COVID. We took in a generous donation from the church and some people drew from it, but not everybody drew from it, and we had this fund left over. And so this COVID fund, I've turned it into a compassion fund. This COVID fund, I've turned it into a compassion fund so that when anybody comes to the church that needs help, we're able to draw from the compassion fund and to give, and to give generously. Not just to merely give them, oh, here's some money to buy a bag of chips and a hot dog. 
doesn't do anything. We want to help people get back on their feet. We want to help people be able to, to, to stand up and say, God has given to me so that I can so generously back into this church. It's never about us. Never. It's never about what the church has or what, what the church, what Five Stones is doing. It's always about what God has given us so that we are able to go so back into the community uh, that we live in. So whether that's in New West, whether that's in Burnaby, whether it's in Metro Vancouver, whether that's in BC or whether that's in Canada. That we're placed here as a church together to be on mission together. We're a fellowship of believers, right? Someone is Frodo and the rest of us is trying to help Frodo get to Mount Doom. Right? This is the fellowship of believers. This is the church. This is the early church. This is the biblical model where the whole community would give generously to the, for the work of the church. Those who had more would give more so that those who had less could give as they are able. And as that happened, the floodgates of heaven would open and the spiritual and material blessings of God would flow like a river to the church and overflowing to the whole community. This is the way that God designed it, and it's meant to be. It starts here in this house and with learning how to honor God in the way that we give. As we honor God, we prove our love to him. Let's do this, church. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that as the early church started, that we could always look to them and say, this is what we're aiming for. That this is where we begin, this is where we, we start. And Lord, may we as a church be as generous as you, our living God. That as you pour into us, that we are able to pour into this church to give out to our community. And Father God, we just pray that as Five Stones Church, we're able to meet people with compassion and love. Father God, may you continue to teach us what it meant to be the early church. What it means to, to honor you. What it means to love you. And Father God, may you move your spirit into, through our hearts. And may we continue to be your disciples. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give all our honor and praise to you. And we love you. And we praise all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, what a great word. I'm just going to take another hour of your time. So if you guys could just remain standing, we'll be good. Um, you know, the God of Abraham, I just, what a, what a great line that song has in terms of we see just such a covenant of faith. Um, with Abraham and you know one of the thoughts that just God was giving me is you know we think of 10% that he gave Abraham's wealth was so great that when he and Lot came into the land they had to go to different valleys because their flocks would decimate a valley this is the promised land this is the land that God then sent a million people out of the desert he sent 11 well 12 tribes into the land and it supported them and yet Abraham's wealth was such that it could decimate a valley. So it's not like he was giving out of little. He was giving out of a lot. And he gave it so quickly and so easily because he knew where his wealth came from. And, you know, I was just thinking then, too, about the Levites. And you have these tribes come in. And 
you know, the Levites depended on the other tribes. Now, if you think about it, they actually got a bigger share because the other tribes had to share an 11th of the land. But the Levites got a 10th. But they had to wait in faith and they had to trust other people. How many people here want John's job where you have to wait for other people to pay so that you get your wages? It doesn't, it scares us because money is just such a fortress in our life that God just continually works to break down. But I will say this, when he breaks it down, there are just amazing things that happen in the church and we see that early church and we see that fortress just shattered. People doing things that just seem insane, but they weren't insane because their eyes were on the Lord. And, you know, I was just thinking this morning, we were praying about people walking in off the street, visitors coming here for the first time. And the Lord is not going to send those needing help to a hard-hearted church. He will not send them to a place where they cannot get help or people are not willing to help them. Why? Because he loves them. Why would you send people into more hurt? So if we want to be that place where people come, if we want to be that place where revival starts, if we want to see people come back to the Lord and move in discipleship and in powerful ways, then we have to start moving first. And that faith means we have to step forward. And the Lord just finally gave me this thought, and he said, this church is not called to give Safeway gift cards. This church is called to cover people's rent. It's cover, it's the, the vision I had is that people get a year's worth of rent. Now, we all know the value in this city, and we all know the places and how much it costs. So you take your, your monthly rent and you times it by 12, there's the number. But that number is nothing before God. And I know that when we step forward, he says, test me in this. And when we step forward, he's going to unload heaven. And I mean, I don't think we can hang on. I, I, you know, we're going to have this financial roundtable, and I think there's just going to be some crazy things that are getting prepared for the wealth that the Lord is going to pour through this church. And it is not for our glory. It is not for Five Stones' glory. It is not to buy us a bigger building, a better building. It's not even to fix the leaky window upstairs. It is because we are going to go to the widows and orphans with it. And there's only one name that's going to get lifted up, and that's his. Lord, we just thank you this morning. We just thank you that your spirit is moving, that you are loving and you are an active God. And Lord, you don't demand things of us. You don't force us to give of things when we're in the wrong place. Or, But Lord, you just ask. You stand at the door and you knock and you ask that we open it. You ask that we open it for salvation. You ask that we open it, that you can come in and dwell in us. And Lord, you also ask for the financial side. It's not an obligation, Lord, but we have heard how you have called us and we have heard how you have said, test us in this. And so, Lord, as believers, we set all of our things. Lord, we trust you with our eternal souls who cares about our wallets. So, Lord, we just place ourselves in your hands. And, Lord, we just ask that as we go forth this week, Lord, just that each and every day 
you would just show us how you are present in our lives, how you are the provider, how you are the source of our wealth. Lord, how you are just all the things and the center of our being. And we just pray this in your name. Amen.